0: Hey, we've got two brand new pieces of merch and all our t-shirts are available for sale once again at thewestwingweekly.com merch.
1: We made posters for our show in DC based on the ending of season six and the convention and they turned out so awesome. Um, you might've seen the image on our Instagram or our Twitter, but it's a beautiful drawing full of little West Wing and West Wing Weekly Easter eggs.
0: We sold most of them at the show, but we have a few
1: left and you should definitely get one before they run out. Besides the poster, the other new piece of merch that we made comes just in time for the 4th of July. You remember this.
2: It's a key. Francis Scott
3: key. It's the Francis Scott key
1: key. We made the Francis Scott key key key
0: chain. It's a beautiful little antique brass key on a brass key ring, and it makes the perfect gift for the Marion Coatsworth hay in your life.
3: I'm Marion Coatsworth (laughs) hay.
1: We only have a few of these left from our show, but they're available now and we're making more because They've been going really fast. Plus, once
0: again, all our shirts and the What's Next baseball cap, they're all back too. So if you've been waiting to get something for yourself as a gift or for a friend, now's the time.
1: It'll all be available to order until the end of June. So get that limited edition stuff while the podcast is still a thing. That's right.
0: We're coming down to the last season. So go now. Go to thewestwingweekly.com
1: slash merch. The West Wing Weekly is brought to you by Lightstream. If you're looking for a way to save some extra money this summer, why not start by paying less interest on your credit card balances?
0: That's right. You can refinance with a credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream.
1: This is an easy solution. You don't need to be a Nobel laureate in economics to know that this is a good idea. Lightstream offers credit card consolidation loans from 5.95% APR with auto That's
0: right. There are absolutely no fees. You can even get your money as soon as the day you apply because Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a better loan experience. And that is exactly what Lightstream delivers.
1: And just for West Wing Weekly listeners, if you apply now, you'll get a special interest rate discount.
0: Now, the only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash West
1: That's L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M. Dot com slash West Wing, lightstream.com slash West Wing.
0: Subject to credit approval, rate includes 0.50% auto pay discount, terms and conditions apply, and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash West Wing for more information.
1: You're listening to the West Wing Weekly. I'm Rishikesh Hirway. And I'm Joshua Molina. Well, we're done with season six, and as a result we're done with Vice President Bob Russell. That was his last episode, last episode. That's right.
0: But before we start season seven, we've got a bonus episode. And we could think of no better way to honor Bingo Bob and one of our other favorite shows about politics than with a special episode on Veep with special guests, Gary Cole, who played VP Russell, of course, as well as Kent Davison on Veep, and Veep's showrunner, Dave Mandel.
1: Veep is an amazing show, and you should all be watching it or you should be done watching it now that the series is wrapped if you don't know veep has been nominated for a total of 59 emmys and it won 17 of them it just ended this past may and like the west wing
3: it's going to be missed
1: but we were thrilled to get the chance to talk to gary cole and dave mandel
3: this is gary cole and i play kent davison on veep and on west wing known as bingo bob what was his last name I don't know russell. russell bob russell i love that you him. had
0: to ask that
2: yeah i did it's been a while <laughs> Uh, And this is uh, David Mandel, exec producer of Veep. I remembered the bingo bob, but I couldn't remember why. I know at some point you were the congressman from, like, the mining interests or something like that. Yeah. Very good. Who
0: is Robert Russell? He's the congressman from western Colorado. and I don't mean the state.
2: I mean the mining company. Bob Russell is not presidential. Are we actually discussing the list? We're
1: dissing the list. Wasn't Russell, is he bingo bob? That's Russell.
2: Right. But what was, why Bingo Bob? Why, what was Bingo? It's actually never explained. Excellent. I like that a lot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love that.
0: But it shows the, the effectiveness of just having a sobriquet. Nicknames work.
1: Yeah. And you remember yes. them. The one yes. thing
0: you still remember is the nickname.
1: Yeah. And something about just that word, bingo, had some connotation that made you feel like you shouldn't take this right. character I mean, seriously. Yeah.
0: It delegitimized him enough. Yeah. To, yeah.
1: Without any need for explanation. Maybe
0: you guys don't gamble. To me, yeah. bingo means I won. I have only positive connotations. Only the good side. Okay, fair
2: enough.
1: (laughs) This is a very, very exciting episode for us. Veep. Is I think I can speak for you Josh our other favorite political show besides the West Wing I didn't know that we would get a chance necessarily to talk about it in this context it is kind of the
2: dystopian inverse of the West Wing in a lot of ways it's like it's bad child or something (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) I would argue even though I did not create Veep I would argue there couldn't have been a Veep if there had not been a West Wing first that West Wing taught people about a certain kind of political show and then that allowed Veep to invert it. But A had to exist before B. That's my own theory, having had nothing to do with either show. Right.
0: And you could argue that beep is an inversion of West Wing and West Wing is an inversion of actual politics.
2: There you go. Therefore, yeah. therefore, <laughs> Veep
0: is closer to, to reality opposite. at the <laughs> end yeah. of We're the day. We're just flipping yes, it. Exactly. You guys flipped it back. And now
2: the time has probably come with what's going on in the world. And as Veep kind of comes to an end, I think we could use sort of another West Wing kind of show on television, dare I say, interesting. just because of the times. I think there's some connection to that. Politics yeah.
0: itself swings like a pendulum, yeah. as does politics on TV. <laughs> yeah.
2: Actually, let's start maybe
1: with going back a little bit. Gary, could you tell us how you first got on The West Wing?
3: I think it was season five. Yep. You know, so that by then, West Wing was, you know, firmly established and doing really well. It was just kind of a traditional phone call from an agency and saying, we got the shot for you, went in and read what was to be Bingo Bob's first appearance, which was basically, it was really weird because it was like a pitch to the president, uh, it was Bartlett was named, right? Right. Uh, <laughs> see, I've got a terrible memory. But, <laughs> this delights me. And just kind of his first meeting in the Oval Office, kind of feeling out each other and you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. I wasn't close enough to say for sure about your relationship with John Hoynes, but as your vice president, I would want more access. Uh-huh. Direct access. Weekly lunch, or drinks, especially since we all know each other. Sounds like you'd be a vice president who'd be looking to move up. I'll remember always doing that scene because that was the first thing. And it was really intimidating because I was a fan of the show. And it was if I knew, you know, I, I had this gig, but I was like literally going in there pitching myself as the vice president in this part and like... It felt like another audition except on camera, Yeah, you know, and here we are in this in the Oval Office, you know, and I had been a huge fan of Martin's for years and and never had never met him before. So that was my launch. But it was something I really remember.
0: Was it clear from the beginning how often you'd return or how long the
3: gig was going to be? Yeah, I think initially the fifth season that was my first season. I think I was told I was going to do about eight. I don't think that was firm, but then it was firmed up later. And then the, the following year was, I knew, you know, when I would be, there would be 10 shows. And I had, you know, it was clear w- how they were going to use the character. He was, uh, you know, the butt of a lot of people's jokes. Uh, Did
1: they explain that to you when you first, when you oh, first sure. got the role? They said, Well,
3: yeah, I knew from his initial meeting with him, you know, there was this whole, first of all, there was this whole thing with his cowboy boots. That's and right. The, you know. <laughs> They were, he was talking about his boots to the president in a meeting about you know trying to be on the ticket. So you knew his priorities were a little misplaced from the get-go, and he was a little uh, a little bit of a political slug and lightweight. But I like that. That was that was fun about the character.
2: He was actually sort of smart, though. He was. Yeah, yeah. yeah was I wouldn't say he's not a lightweight. He, no. He, you. I mean, I was sitting at home watching, so let me be very clear about that. <laughs> but uh, it was kind of interesting because you you kind
3: of like assumed he was an idiot, and then he would right. surprise he was, you with he some was pretty, kind pretty of cagey moves. Out that way, and then, yeah. Then late, there were moments where it was revealed. Um. Oh. Okay. He was so a so solid operator. Yeah, though.
2: Yeah. I'm going to give him credit. You yeah. know? I think that was one of the clever
0: <laughs> things about casting Gary. Yeah. Um, because you, you're able to sort of create the illusion that this guy is an utter buffoon <laughs> and then uh, sometimes you get below the surface and you realize the guy's quite a bit shrewder than most people give him credit
1: for so across your career you've been in both great dramas and great comedies. And with a character like Bob Russell, I was just wondering how you were thinking of approaching it, knowing that he was going to be the butt of jokes and, and things like that. Did you come into it feeling like you were coming from a comedy background? Or I don't know if, if that kind of mentality even entered.
3: It, it, I think I've always operated this way, and maybe, but I, I know that especially in the last decade or so, I do not look at them differently, comedy or drama. That doesn't enter into my whatever I'm doing. That's up to the audience. Yeah. So it's really about the story and how that character fits into the puzzle that is the show or the, the the story you're telling, you know, because in in reality, there's people that are just kind of, you know, there's humor at the expense of them. You know, I mean, that's that's just human, too. So I don't and I never you know, I've never been a stand up comedian or anything like that. I've never thought of comedy like that. It's just a character to me because anytime I've tried to be funny, like actually consciously tried to be funny. Just deadly. So, uh, it's, to me, it's writing always. And, uh, you know, that's how I've looked at it. We have a line in
2: the final episode, which people will have seen by the time this airs, yeah. um, where the character of Kent says to President Meyer,
3: I haven't been funny since
2: 1987. And <laughs> uh, uh, while it was right. a great joke unto itself, it was also deadly serious. Yeah. And I feel like every line you've ever delivered on Veep. Although they are often very funny, you are delivering them with the same level of "Ma'am, a dam just broke and millions of people have been killed." Strictly data. Yes, exactly, and that's that. There is no. It's the straightness that makes it so funny. I
3: would would argue. I forgot about that a lot, but that's yeah, Yeah. that's a perfect example.
2: (laughs) I always
1: felt that Kent, in some ways, is a character who could have existed in both shows.
2: Yes, very much Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, and I think. You know, it's something the West Wing occasionally, I feel like, hit upon, like, in terms of like, you know, sort of that, the attitude of like, sometimes the numbers, like there are guys that are so numbery, like, wasn't like, like in Bruno with his polling and like things like that, where it was just like, like, let's not worry about the numbers. And they weren't exactly maybe the same level of roboticness of Kent, maybe, but like, there was definitely sometimes that pull push between heart and numbers, Mm -hmm. which... I think you know we are reflecting with the Kent character, the numbers guy.
0: Yeah, Yeah. Kent. I think at one point was on Statistic Magazine's 30 Under 30. I
2: think I remember something like it was 30.3 Under 30. (laughs) Oh, there you go. (laughs)
0: Yeah,
1: Yeah, especially characters who kind of come in and out of episodes, who might be a little bit broader than some of the regular characters. It's funny.
2: um, Gary and uh, Kevin Dunn spent sort of a lot of time together Mm -hmm. as her advisors, and both of them. Sort of perhaps more so than other characters end up with straighter lines that end up being very funny because of both their skill and also just the sort of, you know, especially with Kevin, the scene at all or the kind of cold precision that, that Gary brings to it. But both of them probably because they're perhaps a little less jokey sometimes almost feel like you could lift them up and put Drop them in the them West down. Wing and Drop not think twice about it. Right. Right?
3: Yeah. Yeah. And they always seemed, especially in the last, maybe more so this season, because we were kind of put together again and hanging around with Julia, is that there was such a laser focus on what's going to work for her or against her. And their concern was always that. Even, you know, you could, the morality of it, they could, you know, they could figure out how to explain it. They would say, we'll worry about that Later." later. Yes how will this work now? Would this make our numbers rise or fall? Right. But to me, that's, I think about the West Wing, and one of the things I liked about when I first was watching it was, was we always, when we saw shows about the president or politics, person, it was always about the guy at the podium, you know, and the focus was there. And this was a show about the people standing off camp. And I remember there was literally a scene where you saw out of focus, Martin delivering a speech to some huge hall but the scene was either you or Brad or somebody in the forefront speaking about how they finally got him to this how they escaped another disaster and what they were going to do next you know and, and that shifted the perspective yeah right to yeah, the team exactly.
1: one thing that the west wing envy both share is that the original creator, since you alluded to this, left after the first four seasons and then new showrunners came in. And um, so Dave, could you tell us what
2: your experience was uh, coming into Veep? It's funny. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, Yeah. that's really interesting. You know, it's funny. I had a, a longstanding relationship with HBO. I'd been doing Curb Your Enthusiasm for a number of years. I was an old Seinfeld guy and that got me to curb. And so I was sort of a known quantity to HBO, and I was a fan, I was watching the show like anybody else. I mean, I had known Julia from back in the day, I was watching the show, and I had no idea that Armando was leaving. I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe you guys also had no idea that he was leaving to some extent. Yeah. No, a lot of us
3: did not until the very end of that season. But
2: usually on a show in LA, like, rooms talk like writers rooms talk and you hear like oh i hear they're really behind like but like veep was in its own weird like baltimore vacuum so i i knew nothing the phone right. rang one day and it was kind of like armando's thinking of leaving and <laughs> Hmm. And it was, I was taken aback by it because the fan in me was just like, wait, I don't understand. Like what's, who's going to, what's going to, what's going to happen to the show? They want you to take over the show. Oh, okay. So it was, it was strange. It was weird. There's no other way of saying it. Despite the fact that we're talking about two shows where it happened, it's not normal. It's not every day, especially I think with shows that people really, really like. And I kind of approached it very slowly because I wasn't sure, but I'll be honest, as I sat down with Julie and sat down with HBO and started just talking to people, as I got filled in on kind of the cliffhanger that Armando had left, which was basically at the end of season four, it's the statistical, it's the electoral college tie. And it was such an exquisite prison from which it seemed like there was no escape. I got very excited to just solve the puzzle. And in my attempt to solve the puzzle, the next thing I knew I had sort of one way or another, laid out like two or three years of show. and then it was just sort of like, All right, i'm doing I'm doing <laughs> it yeah. but honestly, it was that cliffhanger that I think really made me want to do it i mean beyond the sort of like i love the show that's intriguing
0: aaron left a similar (laughs) situation for john wells behind him at the end of season four he left him a bit of painted into a corner like
2: i think it really helps because it just forces the hand the other thing about veep that's always been very interesting which is maybe a little different than west wing although not so much in the very back end if you think about veep You know, it started as Veep, then she became president, then we did a year of sort of like solving the tie, then made her former president and kind of put her at ease with it, and then everything changed so she could run again. And so even though the show's been called Veep, it's been four or five very different shows.
0: Was Armando Iannucci involved in a, a handover the baton or is just kind we, of, I'm done? Ex-
2: emailed. I think we spoke on the phone. I flew to London to sort of say hello and sit down with him. And in the best way possible, I never heard from him again. I mean, we occasionally get email each other and he's always great about it. But I, I did appreciate his willingness to kind of hand it over. Just, just check hand out hand and be done. Later. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And he says he enjoys it, and I'll take it at that and be very happy, yeah.
1: (laughs) Besides your experience with HBO and Curb Your Enthusiasm, you wrote a pilot, I think, for a show called The Vice President of the United States. I I did.
2: I'm very little known for a a pilot, and uh, I want to be incredibly clear about this before anyone loses their mind. When I was done with Seinfeld, I signed a uh, three-year deal with Touchstone Television to develop shows. And I pitched, I guess, the sort of a network version, if you will. I mean, I wrote it, too, a, a sort of a network version of a very... It was the vice president of the United States, and it, it kind of played within the world of it was a man and that sort of it was a man with a family a very sort of uh, you know aggressive politically sort of like actually probably sharper wife but but like I said it was the network version but it definitely had that sort of sense of the vice presidency is not worth a warm bucket of spit so Mm -hmm. that was about the only thing that it had in common but again nobody ever saw it it never went anywhere this has nothing to do with anything it's just a very weird Uh, coincidence
1: coincidence, (laughs) so you never drew anything from that when you were writing on you know there
2: was one thing in it that I always remembered that I sort of almost tried to play with as an idea and it was the notion it was it was this is the joke it was the idea that the vice president goes back to his high school reunion and is not voted the most successful <laughs> draft.
0: Um, that was like the one great joke. <laughs> that's
2: a good nugget. Yeah, and that's funny. we didn't exactly do that, but that spiritually guided certain sort of Selena adventures, <laughs> I guess, a little bit. That was the one good joke, yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Gary, did you feel like there was a, a sense of continuity between the beginning of the show and and now the end of the show has it felt like because to, to me I feel like the show has changed but it felt less like a reflection of a change in writing or anything like that and more to me it seems like a, a reflection of the times that we live in
3: yeah several things when Kevin and I arrived was in season two we were working for the president, president. Yeah, whom right. you, we're you never for saw Hughes, Hughes. and you were sort of
2: sure. adversarial to right so then. I was yeah. kind of
3: a villain. True, Selena. You know, I really we had some confrontational stuff, and he really looked down upon her right. and felt that she was, you know, uh, insignificant and you know a nuisance. And but as in DC reality, circumstances shifted. She was getting next to power, looked like she had it, and he changed his skin. So that was different for me because that was a big shift for me for my character personally. And then we were all part of the same kind of team going through. And I think several things. You know, the fact that Armando left and Dave took over, but that in combination with the times and then certainly this last, this year. last yeah. year. You
2: almost have to separate I think this last yeah. year from
3: the previous sure, two seasons post Armando. I mean And and the yeah. fact that you that we were off that length of time and you guys were still in the room. Yeah. You <laughs> know, percolating that whole year off informed a lot of what took place this season yeah i mean yeah. i
2: i honestly believe i know when i try and step back and look at it look i'm a different person i'm I'm not armando the show definitely changed a bit just in those first two years i don't think this is a, a criticism i was a gov major at harvard so i for fun i read things like robert carroll Lyndon johnson books so hmm. i'm i definitely mind real American history and real American politics I think a lot more than the Brits did I think probably just from a knowledge base but also from a joke base I mean we I'll make spanish-american war jokes and you know right, try and get right. them in there we have a joke this season i won't take credit for it but uh reed scott the original joke in there was something about it was the greatest cover-up since like i don't know something about fdr walking or something right. and one of the writers pitched uh, this joke which is in the show Ma'am,
1: felix wade's sexuality is the worst best-kept secret since clyde tolson's hysterical pregnancy I, the man
2: And that is a joke for nobody. And it's my absolute favorite thing (laughs) in the world. For those of you listening, Clyde Tolson was J. Edgar Hoover's alleged lover. Yes. And so he, of course, did not have a hysterical pregnancy. (laughs) And like I said, it is a joke for no one. That is not a joke. I didn't write it, but that is also not a joke Armando or the Brits would have done. Right. And then, dare I say, having the advantage of coming in on a season five for a show that had done very little... I think on purpose about sort of scratching a little beneath of who these characters were and by the way which maybe you couldn't have done in season one in my season five we were able to sort of start digging a little bit and in the fourth episode where her mom dies you start to understand her and you know by the time you get to uh, her uh, Catherine's documentary and we find out Kent rides in a biker gang and again little (laughs) tidbits but again allowing a little bit of who these people are to kind of sink into the Show a little more. And so I think those for me were hallmarks of sort of my first two seasons. And then we wrote what became the last season in sort of early mid 2017. We were all set to shoot when Julia got her cancer diagnosis and we shut down. And so we wrote it during the first couple of months of Trump, and Trump was Trump. But by the time we started to loop back around, meaning I guess like I started thinking in, like, February 2018, knowing we were going to be back in, like, July 2018, everything had changed. I mean, it just in ways, like, like just the basics of the show, if you think of the average episode of Veep is Selena... Publicly screws up and then gets sort of blamed for it and has to take a step backwards. That entire notion of publicly screwing up huh. and actually and suffering, having a panic yeah, about it. is yeah, gone. Gull- no longer yeah. credible. Yeah. <laughs> the idea of a president that talks foul mouth behind closed doors—well, first of all, there are no closed doors, and foul mouthed. I mean, yeah. So the, all of these things, the incompetent staff, had just become the realities of our daily life, and so, th- especially in this last season, the show had to change except we're also living through it so it was trying to I always say like we were trying to get like as high as we could and look and try and figure out what does some of this mean we're not necessarily doing Trump but what are the symptoms that led to Trump and I know people just want to go oh you're just doing Trump and it's like I beg to differ we're trying to get above it in a way that It'd be great if we were making the show ten years from now and maybe we could figure this all out. But you know, there is this theory. Sorry, I'm getting all over the no, place. This but strange. there is there is this theory, you know, and it's scary when you think about it, which is is Trump an aberration or is he the beginning the of new our normal. Yeah, just our Roman emperors? Yeah, exactly. And so that sentence, like, what if he's the beginning is something we definitely thought a lot about with Selena in this season. So yeah. Watching this season. Has felt
1: to me like a comedic exploration of the end of the world. Like it feels like the end of the world. <laughs> the wheel oh, begin- is beginning. You do. You look this.
2: around, and I don't know if it's both, both as you know a comedy writer, but also I'm not afraid to say this as a the father of a nine year old and an eleven year old. Like I'm like scared, and so. It's like, I don't know what to do about school shootings other than to figure out a way to do some horrifying comedy about it. I mean, I don't know how else to express that, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It is so bleak. It does start, it feels like there are cracks about to erupt underneath the characters and like the entire world is going to be swallowed into an abyss.
2: Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Mission accomplished. No, but I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, I hate to say it, but that's exactly what we were unfortunately going for. Yeah. One of the things I love about Veep
1: is something that we're, you know, talking about a lot now as we're in the the campaign parts of uh, the West Wing, which is this idea of characters changing skin. In Veep, they have to do it so often, and it's such a funny way of recontextualizing people and things that they said, you know, maybe one episode, or even earlier in the same episode, they have to suddenly reframe it for their new job. They'll turn on a dime. Yeah. So,
0: yeah, there's a great shot of you guys backstage watching the debate and turn, what are you gonna do next? <laughs> Immediately, whoa, <laughs> we're out of a job.
1: Yeah, and now, yeah, I think there was something in the first four seasons of The West Wing where there was a sense of stability and continuity. Mm-hmm. And again, when New Blood came in, there was a i think an understanding that you could try and move the pieces on the board into a new configuration and i think that's really interesting and and it's got to be a little bit scary to
2: do that to an audience that's already established but also somehow liberating. Sometimes it is just like trying to think of things like what would be interesting and so like for example with Kent last year the idea was well what if the world's most reasonable man goes to work for the world's most unreasonable man. That's we've never they've you and Jonah had not done a lot of scenes together you and Tim and so it was just like well there's an idea unto itself that I haven't seen on this show or in a lot of other places and we can embrace this idea. The
3: choice, just the choice, you were talking about, that's what happens in D.C. An administration dissolves and people scatter and they just do whatever they do and they wind up whoever they wind up with. That season blew it up and we were in, you know, we were in places and dealing with people and, and all the, you know, all the other actors that came in and I think that was really effective in setting up this season because everyone kind of found their way back to each other, even though there was, you know, variations, people were not always together, but I thought that was interesting.
1: Gary on the subject of people coming back together and after periods of time away, I was wondering if, if you could tell us about your relationship with Tim Matheson as two vice presidents in in the West Wing, but you've also been on the Good Fight together right. and the, the Brady Bunch, the Bunch. Uh, movies That's together. Right. How is it that you both keep ending up in these projects together?
3: I think if you're an actor, you, you use that phrase, the usual suspects. Hmm. When you go to auditions, and it's interesting, you will run into the usual suspects because more so than not, you arrive looking for a role... And the list is similar, you know, that you always run up against. I have run into Kevin Dunn, not only on Veep, but probably 15 times at auditions <laughs> going for the same part. They finally got Tim, the same thing, you know, so funny. I think that was part of that. Because the
0: capital of imagination of the entire world has little imagination. Right. <laughs> but I mean,
3: you know, Tim, was, Tim was the VP on, on, on West Wing, and, and so they needed another version of that. Do you guys like each other? No, can't stand. It. <laughs> <laughs> I sense no, that. He, he, that's he, that's I Timmy's asked. a great guy. I mean, he's he's the best.
0: Is there a contrast between the acting approach of The West Wing as compared to Veep? I know you know The West Wing, particularly during the Sorkin years, but afterwards as well, was famously you know word perfect. Do you ever get to ad lib on Veep? Yeah, Is there?
2: We're famously not. Although you, I thought, yeah, so. you,
3: but you, you more so though, for two are, yeah. reasons. Kent has a very specific vocabulary, yeah, indeed. Yeah, and. Jerry Cole has a very limited improvisational (laughs) ability. Uh, So that spells pretty much by the script. Kent's unlike anything I've ever played before. The term robotic has been used, and I think that's fair to say. But he's also like being in scenes with people. It's as if he's sometimes observing others as if they're... I don't know, in a zoo or something, you know? It's just like watching this human thing take place, fascinated because he's not really on the level with them, either whether he thinks he's above or not even in the same universe. So playing it is very, it's the most kind of distant i felt Hmm. when actually in front of a camera with people. That's interesting. Yeah. And now we're going to take a quick break.
1: The
0: West Wing Weekly is sponsored by Squarespace.
1: Squarespace is the best way to make a website for whatever it is you want to showcase online. It could be your art, your music, your podcast, your business, anything.
0: That's why we made thewestwingweekly.com a Squarespace site.
1: I recommend it to all of my friends, everybody I know who's starting something up. You can get beautiful templates that are created by world-class designers and analytics that help you grow in real time. That's right. So if you've
0: ever pondered having a website for your special thing, whatever it may be,
1: check out Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com/slash Westwing for a free trial. And then when you're ready to launch, use the offer code Westwing to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. Do it. The West Wing Weekly is sponsored by SimplySafe.
0: According to studies, just over 10% of break-ins are planned beforehand. The rest are spur-of-the-moment, crimes of opportunity. In other words, random.
1: You know what's crazy? Only one in five homes have home security. That doesn't make sense. Maybe that's because most companies don't make it very easy. It can be expensive or it can take too much time to set up. It's a hassle. Oh, but we know one company that makes it super easy. Yeah, we do. Simply Safe. Safe protects your whole home, every window, room, and door, with 24-7 monitoring for just a fraction of the cost of competitors. That's right.
0: And it's designed to blend right into your home. No wires, no drilling. It's easy to order. There's no contract, no hidden fees or fine print. And that's why it's won a ton of awards, from
1: CNET to the New York Times Wirecutter. To check it out, visit simplysafecom slash westwing. You'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You've got nothing to lose.
0: That's right. So go now and be sure you go to simplysafecom slash West That way they know our show sent you. That's simplysafecom slash West And now back to the show.
1: Another great crossover actor where we are in the, in the West Wing, um, we were just recently introduced to Stephen Root. He was in Veep as well, and then he was in Office Space of with you as well. Is that a, just? Are there just people who just come into your orbit by chance? Where this is just what
0: happens? I, I just
3: really think that's just math, and you go like, "How long have I been doing this?" <laughs> I was going to say you're, you're the,
0: bound or, you know, when you work as much as Gary does, it's going to happen. Well, a
3: lot no, but of I people. just think you're, you know, you're, you're going to circle back and sure. you know find people that you've been involved with before.
2: Also, I mean, I can't speak as much for the drama side, but just in terms of comedy you know, there's like sort of three categories of people. There are enemies of comedy that you just have to stay away from. Like I'm talking about, I'm talking about actors now, just absolute (laughs) enemies (laughs) of comedy that just kill the comedy. And then there are friends of comedy who like can play it, but don't necessarily bring you more than what you give them. And then there are like actual like comedy people, you know what I mean? And so when you're actually getting into the category of, comedy people, while there are constantly new people getting churned out and people arriving on the buses in California, you know, you do start to go, boy, we need somebody to play Tony Hale's dad who is slightly effeminate. We're not quite sure what's going on there. And he's got to be Old enough, but you know, and you start to like whatever, and very quickly gets narrowed down. The list doesn't get very long, uh, you know, and and you just are like, yes, Stephen Root. I mean, you know, so you do get to those things in that way, yeah, quickly. Yeah,
1: is there also an element ever of stunt casting of just you know knowing that. Outside of the narrative that you're you're making, there's just gonna be something that's gonna delight the audience. Like I couldn't help but feel that way when Tim Matheson showed up in the good fight that in some ways the creators of the casting people were were saying there is an extra layer to this that exists outside of this universe where people are just going to be delighted about seeing these two on screen again.
3: Yeah, that may be, I don't know how, I'm not sure how how many people that would be. <laughs> just me, You maybe. know what I'm saying? It's yeah. so drag like the but... Starbucks cup on Game of yeah. Thrones. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> that melted the internet, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: There's always, yeah, there's always that, uh, you know, that kind of trivia question. Yeah, sure. But... We wrestle with it
2: on Veep because there's so much for us that, I, I don't know, We guess we take some pride in which is a lot of times what makes somebody great in a role and yes funny is important but also like you believe that that guy could be the head of the secret service and that's a sometimes a very hard line because sometimes really funny people you don't believe are the head of the secret I mean I'm, you know I'm just making up a role and so it's very tough because sometimes there are you know people where you go that guy's great but he's never not that guy mm-hmm. and I'll give you an example that we wrestled back and forth with and I think it Worked out great. Three years ago, my first season, when we introduced this sort of uh, billionaire, sort of uh, mm-hmm. sort of Jamie Diamond character, we wrestled long and hard with whether John Slattery, who is wonderful and is a you know doesn't great get enough actor. credit for being a real comedy ad guy, that it just felt like it was, you know, whatever, Sterling, right? That was Roger Sterling. You know, and again, this is obviously all actors have to deal with this, is like, was he so well-known as that, that bringing him on our show wouldn't allow him to be the character we needed him to be because it just seemed like we brought the guy in for Mad Men. And it worked out great, mm-hmm. but we wrestled with it. I yeah. will tell you, he doesn't know we wrestled. Well, now he does, but uh, <laughs> he's a huge fan of this podcast. Um, but, we, you know, we, we definitely like long conversations about it before we pulled the trigger.
1: Yeah. That's yeah, where
0: your success ends up becoming
2: baggage. Yes, it, yes exactly. Uh, right.
1: Yeah. When you were writing your seasons, how much, if at all, did The West Wing enter the conversation?
2: Uh, a lot, actually. I don't know about hmm. the conversation as much as my maybe my own private conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a huge fan of the show, and at some point or another, especially with this last season, I went back and basically watched the fi- I guess the final two seasons, all the campaign stuff, hmm. but for for sort of maybe three reasons. Number one, just to sort of Like, were there just things you guys brought up, like issues, not necessarily the execution, but just some aspect of something that might make me go, oh, there's a funny version of that. So that was number one. Number two, I also just wanted to see how you handled stuff. And we take that stuff very seriously. So I wanted to just look through to see how you guys handled stuff, specifically the live debate. I had this idea to do she's losing debates. she's losing debates, so they put together one of those rooms where they build the exact debate stage, like in a hotel ballroom, Mm -hmm. and then they were gonna have the real debate in real time, but with our people playing the other people. And it ended up actually, oddly enough, being too close to an old Veep debate episode, which is why Hmm. we didn't do it, but I looked at the debate episode a lot, and as people will have seen by now, our final episode is a brokered convention. And so I watched the convention episodes, again, not only to see what you did, also to see how it looked. Like I wanted to see, like, like try to figure out where you shot, like what could we do, what, how do we make it look right? And then also both, I guess in my own mind, to make sure we didn't, like there were gonna be certain things that overlap because it is a brokered convention, but I also just wanted to make sure we were doing our own thing; that they were distinct; that people weren't going to go. Wait a second! That's the exact, you know, the the, the teachers' union. That's the exact moment from. So I sort of also wanted to make sure I was steering clear. But right. so a, a big influence.
0: Any reevaluation of The West Wing? Watching it again after having worked on I, Veep for so long.
2: You know, I don't know if it was reevaluation because I was an honest to god fan. I think I probably back around the second time. I think I really appreciated those the, the final two seasons that much more. I, I really I really got into both the campaign for the Democratic right. nomination and then the choice of Alan Alda as uh, Venick, Venick by casting the world's most likable human being as the dreaded Republican. And obviously you guys did party. We never do party. But it was such a perfect move because it would have been so easy to pick some draconian, Mm -hmm. horrible guy and be like, you know, this is good versus evil. And what was kind of wonderful was how much it wasn't, like how gray those last two seasons were.
1: There was a line in an episode recently that I mean, even for the show, shocked me just because I, because <laughs> oh, I think... possible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Bring I mean, it. It, you mentioned consultants, and there are ways where Veep avoids, you know, real historical figures or present-day figures. We sort and, of go up to a point. Yeah. We kind of go up to, like, basically Reagan. Right. And uh, the West Wing had a similar kind of attitude, but every now and then there would be contemporary figures that would come in here and there. And one of the consultants on the West Wing in the first few seasons was Peggy Noonan.
3: Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-huh. And what line are you referring (laughs) to?
2: (laughs) And so... I remember what
3: was said that wasn't in the scene, in the car. (laughs) So, uh, how does it work when you have Selena say... Stories everywhere. Peggy Noonan has a column about Babar, an American exceptionalist.
2: Oh, well, she's a dumb (laughs) I
3: mean, just, I...
2: Well, she's in good company. The only people uh, that Selena has called a are, I believe, Peggy Noonan and the Queen of England. So (laughs) she's in good company. And I guess what I would argue, and I just think it's what we do, is the precursor, dare I say, to calling Peggy Noonan a a, a is when Kent describes this sort of the opinion piece, the op-ed that she's written about killing elephants and Babar and uh, whatever. American exceptionalism. exceptionalism. (laughs) Come on, that is a really, really, (laughs) I I didn't write that line. That's a really smart, really almost brutal parody of a Peggy Noonan piece. (laughs) Yeah. And so, we give it, and we take it, yeah, you know come on, so yeah, I guess let me put it this way. I is what I would say, uh, Miss Noonan, if you're listening, we would not have simply just called you a <laughs> unto itself without having done the first line to call you a for no reason would have been just sort of untoward. But doing the first line justifies the second line My God. for me.
1: I'm so deeply mm.
2: uncomfortable you right now. Yeah. I know.
1: I had to ask, because, you know, huh. it's another moment, it's another point of overlap. So. That's true. Yeah. Uh,
2: and so, for the brokered convention, did you have actual political consultants for that as well? Oh, yeah, I mean, we have them, I guess, for, like we have them full-time, I guess, like, yeah. like, like the West Wing did, and from both sides of the aisle. And, and also, You know, beyond our consultants, we also just, you know, wonderfully so, we kind of, uh, you know, and I'm sure West Wing was the same way. Most people return the call when it's like, hey, you're, you know, whatever, can I, do you mind, uh, like, answering some questions about Veep? And so, in the beginnings of all of our seasons, the Veep writer's room kind of becomes this little, I don't know, it sounds pretentious, but kind of salon where we often, especially in, like, the first month, really try and bring in somebody either in the morning or for lunch. And we've had people, we've had... John Dean came in. We had uh, Mitt Romney and his wife came in to talk huh. about losing. That was to talk a little bit yeah, about losing. No I've rem- never forgotten one of the things he said, and, I had huh. fe- and it felt like an honest answer. He talked about, you know, obviously he had his money. I mean, he didn't say it that way, but, you know, he's he's a successful guy, and he's got a whole bunch of wonderful kids and a whole bunch of wonderful grandkids. And, you, you, you know, you kind of understood it. And, of course, for us, sitting in the writer's room, you just go oh, wow, he's got all of these things that Selena doesn't have. Right. This is going to make her cry. I mean, you know, so by hearing what, again, we're not asking them to come in and be funny. They're just telling us stories and pieces of their lives. We got our opening scene this year this is a known fact if I guess you're paying attention to like our Twitter feed and whatnot. A couple of the uh, Pod Save America guys came in and told a story about Obama landing at the wrong airport. Mm-hmm. And we heard that that's story and just went, that's the opening scene of this season. I mean, it was one of those like, oh, that's the opening scene, we don't even have to write it. Sierra I mean, it's just done, yeah, exactly.
3: Amy, where are you? At the airport, where are you? I mean, there's only one fucking runway. I'm at the airport,
2: we just landed. That's not possible. Right now, I'm standing here with my in my hand in Cedar Falls, Iowa. Ma'am, we're in Cedar
3: Rapids. No! This is supposed to be new, Selena!
2: So, you know, that's where it kind of comes from. And so, you know, especially with the convention, Norm Ornstein was of particular help just because he... Swims in that world of, you know, real like the Constitution and stuff. And so he was very helpful there. But yeah, we just talked, we talked to a lot of people to try and get it right. The entertainment
0: yeah. world is fascinated with uh, Washington, but and it's, vice versa. It's, yeah, it's yes. exactly. It goes <laughs> both ways. Yeah.
2: It's funny that
1: we so we had David Axelrod on our podcast. Yeah, I recently, listened to that one actually. Yeah, yeah. And and there was something that he said when he was talking about the spirit. I think of of The West Wing and what he got from it in terms of his real life experience. He said that people got into politics for two reasons: either because they wanted to do something or because they wanted to be something. And the spirit of The West Wing was all these people who wanted to do, do something. something. And I think that the you just split that line. And on Veep, it's people who want to be something.
2: Except probably for Richard. I would say, Richard Splatt, who I do believe maybe, you know, we were talking before about people you could put into the West Wing. I mean, obviously yeah. probably not exactly, <laughs> but I do believe he is inspired by the same, like I'm guessing Richard Splett loved the West Wing. Right. Like right. the rest of them didn't watch it, but right. Richard loved it in, in that kind of JFK, LBJ, great society right. kind of government, away, yeah, yeah. government can help people. Like I do believe he is a believer in that and often sort of in our world of just, you know, horrible, horrible people kind of gets to sometimes be that sort of one little
1: bright star. It is funny that the one person who has a heart of gold in the show is also the most clueless.
2: But his cluelessness is so clueless that it kind of loops back <laughs> around <laughs> into possibly... Laps itself. Yeah, like yeah. like it may... Maybe there is a plan there. That's what I've started to feel.
3: Yeah. <laughs> oh, <and> he <laughs> may, he yeah. may unintentionally <laughs> yeah. solve a lot of <laughs> yeah. things. Yeah.
0: <laughs> now that you're a super delicate, have you given any thought as to who you're going to be endorsing at the convention? Isn't there any way I can endorse all of them?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> it's so sweet, and it does feel... That feels like a a very west wing kind of uh, sentiment. That's basically where President Bartlett is as they're That's going true. through the primary debates.
2: <laughs> and dare I say Richard genuinely sees good in both Selena mm. and Jonah, which is wild when you think about it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's uh, digging yeah. deep. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's a
1: superhuman level of goodness. <laughs> so, what's going to happen now? Are you looking for another political show to No make? (laughs) No, no,
2: no, 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 no. (laughs) Did he say no? Are you sure? (laughs) I need a a little break. I need a little break from politics. I need Hmm. a little break from everything. (laughs) I mean, the, the same
1: way that you talked about certain actors getting maybe stuck in a rut because of a particular thing that they did really well is it something you have to actively avoid because people are coming to you with uh,
2: I get pitched a lot of bad political ideas yeah I think it just obviously Hmm. why why not why not try and get me to go on to one of those I love it I mean I love as I said before I mean this is sort of what I would like like uh, this is what I sort of think and do in my spare time I like politics I like American history and all that kind of stuff so sure something that has an element of it but I don't think it's necessarily going to be about DC or running for office or I don't I don't I don't necessarily know what it Will be and look. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I enjoyed every second of this. Obviously, I would like to create something of my own that isn't necessarily taking obviously over somebody's next show. You yeah, know, that kind would that of be
0: potentially be for HBO? You yeah, to I, have uh, a deal I guess there. I
2: signed a deal with HBO, so I will be continuing on there. And they have been. Uh, I mean, just the support for this show and you know things that people don't really think about with with everything that Julia went through. Obviously, and obviously she took the brunt of it, but. You know, we were like a couple of weeks from production when she got the diagnosis, and so I, I, I say this half jokingly, but like I don't want to know what our final season cost. Our final season went on for about two years. I always had, for the most part, my writers on set. I mean, their backing of the show, and ultimately letting us end it the way we wanted to. It just never, it never came up. Like, oh my God, you know, don't, don't go to a convention place. You know what I mean? Gary, do you feel like
1: having been on, now, these two very political, three, I mean, The Good Fight also uh, is yep. just dealing head on with uh, Trump. Two, do you ever get jealous of actors who, when they do interviews, they never also get questions about politics? Because invariably, I feel like it comes up because of the, the nature of the shows that you're yeah, on. Yeah,
3: but I th- the one thing about, I've always thought about shows that work, shows that last, shows that have an impact. They always had, or at least a lot of them had, stakes. How high are the stakes? Whether they were a comedy or a drama. And I've always just felt lucky to be involved in both Veep and the West Wing. And The Good Fight, which is really addressing everything that's going on in a head-on way. That's the style that they've chosen, which I also think is, you know, walking kind of a high wire. So I I like that, you know, and whatever... You know, you get asked about it. I don't, I don't really think about it in terms and I don't really do all that much anyway in terms of doing interview stuff. But that element just heightens everything to me. And when it works, I just think it's, um, there's really nothing like it. I've been around long enough to know that both of those things that I've been involved with, and especially coming off these, these seven years, you know, it's the exception. It's not the rule. And you can feel it. I certainly felt it and we all felt it as it was coming to an end, that this was, you know, you kind of look back and go, God, what just happened? We were we were all involved in this, but you see the impact that it has, and that's that's a good feeling, you know, because it's not always not always the case.
2: When we got to our last scene, we were shooting with Julia. She was in the last scene, and I mean, the Video Village had like I don't mm. know three hundred people. I mean, yeah. families I were there, there. but but it, it wasn't just everyone. It was like people. I mean. The kids that had been born yeah, during seven years. There were, there were years. several yeah, children exactly. that were born during. It was during just the like th- people just <laughs> yeah. were, like that's great. Bring you know just like families were there. It was like the most intense thing I'd ever seen, and it was just this sense of I think it was built in Baltimore, especially where you guys all got really, really, really close yeah. because you had no choice. Yeah, but then we camp, but it just yeah. kept going, and it just it was just really amazing to sort of be a part of. It's beautiful. Thank you both so much for talking
1: to us. And thanks for letting us get to see the other side of the pendulum swing. Hopefully this is where the pendulum right. swing Yeah, stops, God, I hope. Yeah. And we can... <laughs> Boy, I go. hope. One, yeah.
3: one hope. Yeah. yeah.
0: And that's it for this very, I think you have to agree, very special episode <laughs> of our show.
1: Go watch Veep if you haven't already, or more likely, go re-watch Veep. It stands up to multiple viewings.
0: It does indeed. And looking forward, we're going to take a week off. We're going to celebrate America's independence with a little independence of our own.
1: And then we'll be back for the beginning of season seven. Thanks so much to our guests, Gary Cole and Dave Mandel. Uh, Gary isn't on Twitter, but Dave is. He's at Dave H. Mandel. You can find us both
0: on Twitter and Facebook and
1: Instagram too.
0: Uh, Maybe before it's all over, we'll be on Pinterest as well. (laughs)
1: hmm <laughs> What would we put on our uh, Pinterest boards? Oh, I don't
0: know. Pictures of big hats from Texas, good Latin inscriptions, and maybe old maps of Israel.
1: An old map! An old
0: map! We remain a proud member of Radiotopia, a jaunty parade of
1: popular podcasts. You can find out more about them at radiotopia.fm. Thanks so much to Zach McNeese, Margaret Miller, and Nick Song for helping us make this show. Okay. Okay. What's next?
3: Radio